0: This recording has been produced by Christ Church Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org.
1: So good evening, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to uh, the Wednesday night Bible study and at the same time, a special event or a special lecture. We try to do this uh, every year. In one form or another, and um, the purpose of this is really to show um, really the, um, the deep indebtedness uh, of uh, the teachings of Jesus and, and the New Testament to um, uh, Jewish theology and Jewish theological development that came after the Bible okay we all know that Jesus Uh, stands on the Torah, but he also stands or he he fashions his message or um, he um, begins to teach in a way uh, on Jewish, you might say, theological development. Um, Something that is a little different than what we find uh, in the Bible itself. So for example, The devil you meet in Job, Satan, is not the same devil you meet in the New Testament. Okay, there's been a deepening, you might say, Jewish understanding, the role of angels, the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, the understanding of what a Messiah uh, will look like, and who will be the judge at the end of days. Now, we're indebted. Um, in many ways not only to the Jewish people for our understanding of these matters, but we're indebted to the ancient church. So let me tell you a story. So not long ago, a couple of days ago, there was a man filming outside our gate and he was filming something on Hanukkah Uh, and basically his line seems to have been uh, something to the effect that um, uh, we, the Jewish people, we uh, had a military victory, we overcame our enemies, uh, et etc. et cetera. and here are people inside this church, and they're also enemies of the Jewish people, uh, so on and so forth. Now what was very ironic about all that is that what that man, and what we know about the Maccabees, and about Hanukkah, and about the, the period uh, the late Second Temple period, or sometimes what unfortunately we call the intertestamental period, what we know about uh, this time period was largely preserved for us by the early church. So, 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, 3rd Maccabees, which is kind of boring, isn't it? 4th Maccabees, which is terribly exciting. Very
2: much
1: so the works of Josephus Flavius, and more. All of these were Jewish writings, but uh, by the time you get to the year 200 or 300 uh, after Jesus, um, Jews had pretty much ignored these writings, and they became lost to Judaism. The early church latched onto them uh, and preserved them because they rightly understood that they properly explain uh, the context uh, of the New Testament. And uh, so we're to be grateful. The early church, uh, the Catholic church, especially in the West, the Orthodox church uh, in the East, monks in Ireland, for example, uh, spent many an hour copying, Josephus or copying the works of uh, uh, Flavius, uh, uh, First Maccabees, Second Maccabees, And they're preserved for us uh, to this day, thanks to their efforts. I'd like to make one further thing clear, is that uh, while we believe that Jesus um, and the teaching of the New Testament theologically owes (coughs) much to the Jewish context of its age, the New Testament and Jesus himself does present a unique message. Uh, Jesus uh, has... His own interpretations, his own understanding of himself, his own understanding of his uh, death and resurrection, which he teaches the early Apostles, which they pass on to us. And uh, that understanding, okay, again, while it's very Jewish, also has the marks of something being very ingenious uh, and very unique to Jesus. So I would just put it like this. If you were to um, not understand Jesus as a first century Jew, you would be missing something really important. But if you were to make the other mistake and understand him only as a Jew in the first century, then perhaps you'd be making even uh, a bigger mistake, okay? So when we talk about these things, we're not trying to detract or subtract uh... from uh... the glory of uh... you know our lord and savior jesus the messiah but only but rather to better understand his teaching and to understand the times in which we live uh... and hopefully after hearing aaron's lecture and after the altar call that he gives you are giving an altar call, Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you if you want to come forward and be a Maccabee for Jesus. Father <laughs> uh, <what is> <laughs> oh,
2: <you> go. <laughs> I got it.
1: It's our way of wanting to, to deepen our our discipleship and our commitment. Okay. All right.
2: Right. So for those of us who come to the Bible study regularly, we do our best to try and finish around 8.30, and we will do our best again to try and keep to that uh, time schedule, because I'm sure we've all got other things to do too. Uh, I guess a, a few questions just before we start. Who's actually read the books of the Maccabees? Not many people.
0: Okay.
2: Um, which is an interesting little thought, really isn't it? Okay. So... What is Chanukah? We are about to celebrate the festival of Chanukah and um, often uh, Chanukah and Christmas can can relate quite closely, particularly this year and a couple of years ago where they, they get incredibly close. Uh, and so, so much so, that in the modern period, they've begun to, to think that Hanukkah is just another type of Christmas, or perhaps, um, uh, I mean, that perhaps what all it is. And they try and find similarities there between the light of Hanukkah, the light of Christmas, and gift giving, and uh, chanukkah bushes instead of Christmas trees, and all kinds of things like that. But what is chanukkah? Well, it's a festival, yes? Yeah. That's not in the Bible. No. Isn't that interesting? I mean, there are uh, many people will say, Yes, it is. Hanukkah is mentioned in the Bible, isn't it? Yes. Yes? It's one verse in the Gospel of John that says Jesus went to uh, Jerusalem for the Feast of? Dedication. dedication. And you go, Great, good. Now tell me about Hanukkah from that verse. <laughs> I dare you. Mm-hmm. You can't, can you? No. If you don't have the books of the Maccabees, Can
0: we just back up and
2: tell me what the Feast of Dedication is versus what Hanukkah is? Okay, so, Hanukkah is an eight-day festival, so I'll I'll read my first paragraph, maybe that will will help describe. Mm -hmm. Hanukkah is a festival that's not in the Bible. But what other festivals are like that? What other festivals do we have on our calendar that are not in the Bible? Purim. Purim? Well, that's Esther. That is in the Bible. Christmas. Christmas! Okay. Yes. There are, in the, in the Jewish calendar, in the time of the Second Temple period, they actually had a feast day for just about every day of the year. Okay. As, as opposed to now, they've, they've got rid of a few. Uh, and oddly enough, the early church did exactly the same thing. We decided, great, every single day we'll have a feast of some saint, which we actually uh, borrowed from the Jewish people. This is actually a minor holiday in Israel. It is not an official rest day. So it's Hanukkah. You still have to go to work. Mm -hmm. And it has only become important because of Christmas. Christmas is popular and attractive even in the secular world. Yes? Yes. They don't like the idea of Christmas or Christians, but they love Christmas. And they'll do all their best to try and figure out other ways to change its name. And they'll still do exactly the same thing. I was talking with a, uh, a Jewish believer from Belarus, and she said that when she grew up in Belarus, everyone had Christmas trees in their, in their houses, even though they were communists. <laughs> it is essentially a post-biblical holiday with terrible traffic, just like Christmas. And the, the, just like Christmas, the commemoration of Hanukkah is from, the, from business and cultural pressure. Okay, the culture has made Hanukkah bigger than it probably used to be. Schools and educational institutions do take some time off. Usually because it's, it ends up being a good time period to actually have a break between semesters. Okay, so you pretty much go, oh, let's do it over Hanukkah. And so it adds somehow a little bit more weight to the holiday. The holiday is essentially deriving its meaning from the culture. Note that the lights of the Hanukkah menorah, menorah are on the outside of the house. So when you, when you walk around Jerusalem, as they light their candles, where do they put their lights? On the outside. Shabbat lights are where? On the inside of the house. And there is a prayer in the Jewish prayer book for Hanukkah. There is only one. It is one paragraph long and it doesn't mention the miracle of the oil but it does mention the festival of lights and so actually Hanukkah could be a source for the tradition of lighting candles on the Sabbath this idea of lighting candles uh, during Hanukkah and and putting them outside your house could have led to the tradition later on for Jewish people lighting candles uh, on Shabbat, and keeping them on the inside of the house on every week. Chanukah comes from the verb uh, uh, which is uh, the verb to dedicate or inaugurate, and also the same verb to teach. So this is the, the dedication or the inauguration of something. And uh, it's, it's about uh, a Jewish family that lead a violent opposition and uprising Against the uh, Greek overlords, the masters of this land Uh, A small rebellion somehow succeeds against this vast empire Uh, They recapture the Jerusalem and dedicate the temple That's essentially uh, what it is There are four books that bear the title of the Maccabees Uh, One, two, three, four conveniently And a further two to three depending Very smaller texts that are only in Syriac That actually have some material that relates to the Maccabees are included in the apocrypha everyone knows what the apocrypha is mm-hmm. yes where do we get that name from we actually get it from a guy called jerome everyone know who jerome is okay right jerome is a uh, a saint these days um, he was translating the bible from um, hebrew and greek into latin which later on became called the vulgate and he did it in a small town called Bethlehem. You can go and visit his little, little tomb, uh, little room there. He did it in the year 386. What's so important about Jerome, or translating the Bible into Latin? Two things. One, Latin was like English today. Right? It was the language of the world, the business language of the world, the internet language of the world. And so you had these scriptures in languages no one could read. So what, what did, he, did he want to do? Let's make it into the common tongue. The fact that about 100 years later that language died out is irrelevant because at the time it was a really big deal. And he did something else that was amazing. He decided that he would base his translation on Hebrew until 386. What language were we reading the Bible in?
0: Greek. Greek.
2: Greek. Yes we were. We were even reading the Old Testament in Greek and so called the Septuagint and so Jerome came along and said nope we want to get back to the Hebrew original so I'm going to translate my Latin from Hebrew and uh, Augustine wrote some letters to Jerome which we still have complaining about this and telling people please don't do that because it's confusing the pants off all of us okay Uh, and so uh, that's the reason why sometimes in our New Testaments they will quote verses from the Bible that are not in our Bible. So, like For example, the book of Hebrews will quote verses from Isaiah that are not actually in your Isaiah. They're in Greek Isaiah. We're all thankful that Jerome did this because it took us back again to the source. He himself was anti-Semitic, but that's irrelevant. And because one and two Maccabees appeared in Septuagint, <coughs> it was included in the Vulgate and has since been preserved in pretty much every copy of the Bible since, including Martin Luther's Bible. So all those good Protestants out there, the Maccabees are in your Bible too. Are there any Anglicans present? Maccabees are in our Bible. And so for those who follow the uh, Anglican lectionary, the uh, book there are apocryphal books that are actually included in our, in our reading list. One Maccabees has a Hebrew original, although the text we have is in Greek. It's from an unknown author. None of them actually give you their names. And it deals with the history of the Maccabean family from approximately 175 to 134 BC. It deals with the military uh, part of of the uprising. It deals with the sword of the Maccabees. God is not mentioned in Maccabees number one, just like the scroll of Esther. So you have a Hebrew original that talks about how a Jewish family overcame the most powerful empire of the day, well, maybe the second most powerful empire of the day, uh, with the sword, and they did it. Second Maccabees is a Greek abridged version of potentially a Hebrew original, although well, that's never actually been found. And it has a lot of added theological uh, interpolations, including praying for the dead, the theology of martyrdom and community offerings versus a complete lack of interest in the temple, intervening prayers by saints, and creation ex nil hello. It in, It changes the focus from the sword to defeating the Greeks through prayer, through fasting and repentance, and angelic assistance, and lots and lots of God. The real enemy were not the pagans, they were the Hellenizing Jews. Who attempted to embrace Hellenism? Three Maccabees is included in Greek, Armenian, and oddly enough, Moravian Czech Brethren Bibles. Hey, do you have any Moravian Czech Brethren here? Okay, so it would be in your Bible. Okay, it has nothing to do with the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucids. Instead, it mentions some of the setting, some of the characters that are in Second Maccabees, and deals with the theological theme of apostasy in the diaspora. Fourth Maccabees is in the canon of the uh, Georgian uh, Georgian Orthodox Church. It is a philosophical and theological treatise with angelic appearances, just like in 2 Maccabees. The blood of the martyrs brings the saving activity of God. And in chapters 17 and 18, we encountered the martyrs dying for the sins of the nation. And the land was purified due to the death of the innocent. So it takes themes that are in 2 Maccabees, and it Adds more theological weight to them, coming into this idea of the atoning and sacrificial death of a righteous person. Have you heard that theology somewhere before? Mm -hmm. In the the, the late Second Temple period, that idea of how do we understand faith uh, under occupation? How do we handle our behavior when we're actually ruled by pagans? How do we continue our faith and belief towards God when our leadership is becoming corrupt? A lot of those issues are still alive today, are they not? Mm -hmm. How do we handle a church that's going more and more liberal? Mm -hmm. What do we do? Do we do do something violent? Do we do something less violent? Do we pray more, fast more? Like what, What do we actually do? Some of those same issues that are being dealt with about 200 years prior to Jesus... Are those other interestingly enough, some of the issues that we're still doing today. So what's interesting for me, having lived here for 21 years, is that the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah, an event recorded in books that are only preserved in Catholic and Orthodox Christian Bibles. <laughs> is that not irony? <laughs> and yet, also true, all of the books in, all of the books of the Apocrypha are written by Jews. Okay, and they are preserved by Christians, isn't that also ironic? And so I think, as David had, has suggested, we owe a great uh, debt to the early church fathers, to the Catholics, and to the Greek Orthodox for preserving uh, these texts for us. They give us a hint of the world and the life and world of, of, of Jesus, which we would not have. If you actually read the books of the Maccabees, you will note an absence of one major event. And that is, there is no miracle of the oil. So if I had asked anybody at the start of this lecture, tell me about Hanukkah. What happened at Hanukkah? What would be our most likely response? We would say... That a small um, Jewish family overcame a vast Greek empire. Most of them died. It was tragic, but finally they did it. They cleansed and rededicated the temple. And they, as they were cleaning up uh, the temple, they found a small jar of oil. You heard the story? Yes? And they poured it into the, the, the menorah, but there was only enough oil for how long? One
0: day. One
2: day. And they needed to make some new oil. And new oil takes how long? Eight days. Okay, eight days. Or seven days, whichever. Yes, and um, and on the eighth day you can use it. And so uh, they lit the candles, and then there was a great miracle, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: somehow this, this oil burnt for, for for eight whole days before they could make new oil. You never, you don't find that in any of the four books of Maccabees. You don't find it in the prayer, the one sole prayer that the, the Jewish people have in the prayer book for Hanukkah. Oil is not mentioned. And it is not mentioned in the Mishnah, which is the the uh, first 200 years uh, of Jewish rabbinic literature. The uh, why not? What happened? Why did they miss including such a special event that is now totally synonymous with Hanukkah? Because it never occurred. occurred. And actually, that's the the Jewish guy saying that.
0: (laughs) That
2: is true. Well, done, fine. So when did the oil appear in the story of Hanukkah? Actually, the miracle of the oil appears very late, in the 6th century in the Talmud. Now that's approximately 600 years after the Maccabees. The real miracle in the books of the Maccabees is that a small, non-trained Jewish army defeated the mighty Greeks, one of the most well-equipped, (coughs) well-funded superpowers of the day. Once again, God fought for His people. Yes. That's the miracle. The rabbis and the sages did not agree with the messianic theology of the Maccabees, however. So why are the Maccabees not in the Bible? The Maccabean nationalism believed that they could hasten the redemption of the Messiah through violence. And that they themselves played <laughs> a part in the messianic agenda of God. That is, we can do, make things happen by Killing people, and who who thinks like that today? There actually, are some people yes, yes that we can bring on the messianic redemption through violence. Largely, we would see that through Islamic terrorism, but you can also see it through some forms of Christian fundamentalism. Like, let's build a temple. If you build a temple, what do you think is going to happen? Lots of people are going to die. So be very careful. After defeating the Greeks, they continued a campaign of conquests and forced conversions. This is the Maccabees. After they defeated the Greeks, they went on to continue to, to conquer other peoples and force conversions. Right? The, the Christians are not the only people who force convert. The Muslims are not the only people who force convert. Jewish people sometimes force convert. And these included the Idumeans, resulting in someone called King Herod. Okay, if uh, we want to have a look at, unfortunately, there are too many of you. How's this for the Hasmonean family? You can all see that, right? (laughs) You've all got your glasses on. Okay, so the first person at the top is a guy called uh, Matthias. Okay, Matthew. And he has five sons. He has John, Simeon, Simon, Judah, uh, Eliezer, and Jonathan. And uh, these have some more sons, uh, John, Matthew and Judah. Uh, Notice the similarity in these names. These heroes, John, Matthew, Jonathan, (laughs) Judah, become very, very popular names. People begin naming their children after the Maccabean heroes. Notice that in the New Testament, half the disciples are named after Maccabean heroes. Even Jesus' family. right? So he has got a brother called Judah, the epistle of Jude, Judas in Greek, although that's the reason why we call it Jude in English, because no one wants to read a book called Judas, (laughs) even though Judas is the Greek of Judah, Judah Maccabee. Let's call him him that the first book of the Bible is New Testament, Matthew, named after the, the hero. Well. This guy down here in the third uh, lineage of the, of the Maccabean family uh, is a guy called Alexander Jannaeus. He's the one that runs off and starts um, conquering uh, all the neighbours nearby, including uh, King Herod. Uh, he conquers the, 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 the Idumeans And he says, I've got a really cool plan for you. Um, become Jews or die. And they go, oh, great plan. I think I'll become Jewish, thanks. So uh, they do. And that is... Uh, King Herod's grandfather. So King Herod's grandfather is forced converted, which means that his son is? Jewish. Jewish, Which means his grandson, which is King Herod, is? Jewish. Jewish. King Herod is Jewish. This is him down here. How does he get into the family? Because he actually marries a a Hasmonean princess. called Miriam. She's the last of the Maccabean family. He ends up killing her, I like killed everybody. But um, so King Herod is produced by these guys. He actually marries into the family and ends up wiping them out. So how's that for a little bit of uh, uh, ironic justice? So they uh, and they also convert the Gentiles of the Galilee. So, in the uh, first temple period, uh, the Jewish people are dispersed, the Galilee is uh, heavily inundated by the Gentiles. So much so that by the time you get to the prophets, prophet Isaiah, what do we call the Galilee? The Galilee of? Gentiles. Gentiles. Yeah, it's supposed to be the territory of Zebulon, Naphtali, Issachar. Okay, it's supposed to be that territory, but they're not there anymore. And so it's known as the Galilee of the Gentiles. And so when the Maccabees go up there, they, they grab a few of them and force convert them. And then they think, well, we'd better really populate it with some, some other Jews. So they force move Jewish people from the south and replant them in the north. And guess whose family that is? Jesus's, right? Joseph's family. Joseph's from the tribe of? He's supposed to be down south. But his family is forced north. Okay? Only to return during a census. And so this all happens during the, the Maccabean family. So they're not as heroic as we might think, are they? The Maccabees slaughtered the Pharisees in mass crucifixion. This is the death penalty that they have adopted from the Greeks and the Romans, because the normal death penalty for Jewish people is stoning. In revenge, the rabbis completely failed to mention or write about the Maccabees during the Age period. Okay. So we don't like them very much, so we won't even write about them. They were trying to downplay the disastrous nationalistic fervour of the Maccabees, which had resulted in successfully getting rid of the Greeks, only to invite the invasion of the Romans and the subsequent destruction of the temple. So the Jewish people get rid of the Greeks. Hooray! And then the family goes bad very quickly. They make themselves kings, even though they should not have been kings. Why not? Because they're not from the tribe of Judah. They made themselves priests. They should not have done that. Why not? They're not the tribe of Levi. And so by the time you get to the, set, the late close of the Second Temple period, you have a corrupt priesthood, you have false kings. Uh, and what they had done is they had in a civil war with each other that one family even invited the Romans in. Mm. And so uh, the end result of this nationalistic messianic fervor is social disaster. And so the, the res, uh, one, result or one, one, one result of this is to downplay any form of nationalism. It's dangerous. It leads to disaster. It was only much later uh, that the rabbis of the Babylonian Talmud sought to replace the miracle of a military victory with a miracle from God. So they did a play on words with the Maccabees. In Hebrew, the Maccabees descended from the Hashmonim family. Shemen in Hebrew means oil. So Hashemen means the oil. And it sounds very similar to Hashmonim. Hashemmen the oil to the family of the Hashmonim. So thus was born the miracle of the oil, 600 years after the military victory over the Greeks and the rededication of the temple. Jewish festivals are often eight days. Why? Good question, I hear you ask. When you wanted to purify the altar in Exodus 29, Leviticus 8, they defined the the days of Miluim as lasting eight days when you wanted to dedicate anything. Thus a pattern had begun. How long? How many days is Passover? Eight, eight days. How many days is Sukkot? Eight days. Eight days. So when you had a new, a new uh, uh, holiday that you wanted to add to your calendar, how many days was it going to be? Eight days. Eight days. So we threw another eight-day festival in there. This is also influencing the Jewish Christians, the Messianic Jews. When the Messianic Jews have their own calendar, the Jewish people, so they've got a calendar they want to dedicate a new event that god is doing in the world through the messiah you turn uh, uh an eight-day festival of holy week passover was eight days jesus was killed at passover ergo holy week becomes sunday to sunday an eight-day festival now a little quick quick uh history of the greek period after alexander the great to try and understand a little bit of the background to the maccabean period Alexander the Great. Uh, Everyone knows who he is? Yes. Right. The Macedonian who rose up and defeated the Persians and charged across the world. On his deathbed, he declared rather stupidly that his empire must go to the strongest of his generals. How many generals did he have? He had four. So this guaranteeing completely that his kingdom will fly apart in a civil war. Quickly. Ptolemy Salter grabs Egypt, which was the breadbasket of the world back then. And he also takes Alexander's body, which he took to a city called Alexandria. <laughs> okay. Like a lot of these guys named uh, cities after themselves. In fact, Alex- Alexander made, left a lot of cities after him. Uh, so he has the hero's body, a relic, an icon. He's getting legitimacy for his claim okay uh peridarchus immediately attacks this is another general ptolemy and dies then seleucus another general of ptolemy grabs mesopotamia and and teams up against another one of the generals who's based in in europe called antigonus then ptolemy ii uh so basically all the generals of egypt start their own dynasty and everyone calls themselves the same name okay so everyone starts calling themselves uh ptolemy living in egypt he builds the Pharos Lighthouse, one of the ancient wonders of the world, and the Library of Alexandria. Okay? Which, in that library, they will collect every book in the world, including the Septuagint. In the 2nd century BCE, Judea was governed by the Seleucid kings. They were based, Their headquarters was based in Syria. Many of their leaders were called Antiochus, and they built cities named after themselves called Antioch. And so by the time you get into the New Testament, you're constantly going to cities called Antioch. They went to Antioch and they went to another city called, conveniently, Antioch. As successors of Alexander the Great, they were patrons of Greek culture. The word cosmopolitan describes this Greek approach to life. The term is based on the Greek words meaning world citizen. The idea is that a person's identity is not determined by birth into a particular nationality. You're a citizen of the world. What countries are trying to do that today? Europe. You're not German. You're not French. You're European. This is not a new idea. What does the wise man once say? There is nothing new under the sun. So the Greeks in their world were trying to say that everybody can be Greek. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you need is good education. So once you learn some Greek and get educated in Greek philosophy and start adopting Greek customs, people could advance socially and become citizens of the wider Greek world. They'll become citizens of the earth. Not a a new idea. This cosmopolitan ideal clashed with the conviction that the Jewish people were God's chosen people. Special. Unique. This issue became clear in the context of something called a gymnasium. What's a gymnasium? Athletic training was common throughout the Greek world, but athletes trained and competed unclothed, and Greek men were not circumcised. So, to participate in gymnastic life more fully, some Jewish men had their circumcisions surgically reversed okay, so that they could become part of the wider world. The problem was that circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Israel. And therefore, traditional Jews insisted that those assimilating into Greek culture had abandoned Israel's covenant with God and therefore was a national sin. So we have a conflict of world, uh, world views world perspectives, one saying that there is a God, and God loves the world, and God wants to bless this world, and so God wants to bless this world through a small people group called the Jews. Another worldview says there are lots of gods, or no gods, and we're all the same. There are no unique races. No one is special. and We'll all just learn one language, have one identity, and that will bring world peace. Interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But that was what was uh, beginning to influence the, 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 the tail end of the Second Temple period. Mm-hmm. It's not something that goes fast. When Alexander the Great uh, came to Jerusalem, he did not destroy it. Okay? Actually, he liked the city, he thought it was quite nice, and he gave a large donation to the Temple. And when he came here, he discovered that there were people already here speaking Greek, People were already engaging in commerce, and that was one of the language of business. So he didn't bring Greek, he found Greek. Uh, he just didn't uh, run along and say, it, try to enforce his Greekness on them. He, he tried, but not in a, in a militaristic, violent way. Now this conflict of ideals Becomes a crisis in the reign of the Seleucid king, Antiochus IV. This is this guy, Antiochus. Everyone's been named Antiochus, uh, living in a city conveniently called Antioch. And he reigned from 175 to 164. He was known as uh, Epiphanius, uh, a word suggesting manifestation of a divine power. Antiochus uh, uh, pressured the Jewish people to abandon their traditional ways. He forbade the Torah. He outlawed the Sabbath. He outlawed circumcision and he turned the temple of Jerusalem into the temple to Zeus and including offering um, pig on the altar. And it was profaned, this was done, on the 25th of Kislev, which is the last month in the Jewish calendar. Antiochus' policies of being cosmopolitan provoked a military response from the Jewish people. The principal leader of the revolt was a man named Judah, nicknamed Maccabeus, or the Hammer. The Maccabean family and the names of the heroes become influential in the New Testament, with many disciples being named after them. Okay. So, the... uh, the, The... 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 the, uh, Maccabees number one First Maccabees describes that the profaning of the, tab- of the temple occurs on the 25th of Kislev so when it comes time to rededicate the temple what day do they rededicate the temple on? 25th of Kislev
0: mm-hmm.
2: what else is going on in the Maccabean period as the basis for the world of the New Testament at this time Greek influence into the Middle, Middle East not all <coughs> Greek influence was negative okay so you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's like saying everything that the church offers is wrong and evil. This is not true. Who sent the gospel around the world? The church. Who built hospitals and schools everywhere? The church. Many aspects of the Greek world were incorporated into the, the Hebraic world, including architecture. The temple is a Roman design. Temple Mount platform. Birthdays. Everyone likes birthdays? There are no birthdays in the Bible. That is a Greek invention. We like it, so we keep it. Imitation of schools. You don't have schools in the Bible. You don't have jails in the the Bible. Have you noticed that? There are no prisons. So if you went to uh, a court... And you were found guilty. When was your punishment done? Immediately. There was no, let's keep you in prison and uh, the state will take care of you and then we'll do some sort of rehabilitation. No, we just killed you. And so uh, you stole something. You need to pay four times back. You can't. You're a slave. There was no, you'll go a debt and you'll work. You were done then and there.
0: Mm?
2: That's, but the Greek world had something different. We kind of like that idea. So we took (coughs) schools and discipleship, which is the idea of attracting and students was a Greek idea which was incorporated into the Hebraic world. The Hebraic world rejects idolatry and the immorality from the Greeks, but it also embraces some of the more positive things. So we have during this same time period. We have a rise in literacy in the world, both in the Jewish world and in the Gentile world. Uh, Everyone is able to read or at least hear the scriptures. Not everyone could read the Bible, but everyone could hear the Bible. Not everybody obviously had a Bible. Those things weren't exist, but you would go to the synagogue. Some would read it for you. So you would hear the scriptures. Faith comes by this. Now that everybody can read for themselves, what is this going to do? Once you have given the Bible into the hands of everybody and everybody is going to read it what's that what's going to happen what is going to be the result breakdown of, central control. breakdown of central control the rise of sectarianism you will create denominations as soon as you've got everybody reading the Bible somebody comes along and goes my interpretation is a lot better than yours
0: <laughs>
2: so this leads to sectarianism and the birth of many different sects all based on On interpretation of exactly the same scripture. So we also see the advent of the Beit Midrash. That gets attached to the synagogue. Hadn't had this before. But now we see it. And these uh, Beit Midrashim. These little schools which are attached to the synagogues. Are part of community life. These schools are community based. And they are. Which largely displaces uh, any difference in the socio-economic distinction. Poor people could go there as well and read. Although it's true that most rabbis tended to be rich. We find that there is no systematic theology in the Second Temple. And we see that in Paul. That's probably, I guess, why he's pretty hard to understand. Because he starts talking about one subject, and then he segues off into something completely uh, another subject. Does he not? Or in Romans, where Paul starts with a firstly and never gets to a secondly. (laughs) If you had done systematic theology, you would have worked this out, but you didn't have that in the second temple period. So the new Testament isn't systematic in its theology. (laughs) Western immorality has arrived. How do we resist it? We resist by education. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So let's think of our world today. What's happened to our education? So how do we resist? That's an interesting thought for us, isn't it? So we end up in our day and age with the rise of homeschooling. Once the secular world has gone into the education system and you're sending your children to school and the school is teaching them that they're animals and descended from monkeys and there is no God and uh, your mom and dad can be male and female and, and you actually really don't have a gender actually. You've got 100 different types of genders. Uh, suddenly you don't want your kids to learn that, do you? So you've either got to find some private schools if you can afford them. And if not, you have the rise of another form of education. Education is a resistance movement. Not a a violent one. It's a very good one. And it was something that was going on in the Second Temple period. The need to read the scriptures as the word of God will defend you. So the, the we were engaged, immorality, idolatry was impacting on our society. How do we resist? We run to the Word of God. We find out how God would want us to deal with this. We do our best to have the Word of God defend us. And so you see that in Galatians. That before the Holy Spirit came, what was our shield and defender? What does Paul say in Galatians 3? It was the Torah. Remember... We are still under occupation in the Second Temple period. We've got Romans, but before that we've got Greeks. And we can still resist, but we can do so non-violently. The sages become the competitor of the priesthood, which is now corrupt. Used to be that the priests would do all the teaching, but now you have these people called sages. It used to be priests and prophets would deliver the Word of God, but now everyone can become a teacher. And so we have the advent of a new type of person in the community, the rabbi. And the rabbi means teacher. And this is where we get the word rector from. Rector is Latin for rabbi. The Latin word rector is teacher. So is David, are you here? No. Okay, so David is is called the rector of Christchurch. So in Latin. And so he is the Rabbi, teacher of Christchurch. So I guess the more important part now, the influence of the uh, on the New Testament. Connections between Christmas and Hanukkah. Beginnings and ends in the Second Temple period <coughs> occur at the same time. This developed through the exegesis in the Second Temple period of Deuteronomy. Moses, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, okay, which is an interesting concept, uh, Moses, when he starts his career, what does he say? He says, I can't talk. Don't, don't choose me, Lord. I can't speak. And God says, okay, well, we'll take Aaron and he'll come along and help you. Um, speak to the rock. Can't even do that. I'll hit it instead. Okay? Or everything goes wrong for the boy. But finally, on his deathbed, Moses ends up with four chapters of a, of a monologue. The man who can't speak finally talks. Yes? And he starts his monologue by saying, Today, Hayom, I am 120 years old. Which means that today is his, his birthday. He also says, and there won't be any more days for me. Right? So he's going to die on his birthday. That's the reason why when he dies, he was 120 years old. So the exegesis is that the heroes of God are born and die on the same day okay so you find that Abraham when he died he was 175 he wasn't 175 and a half and 175 and if you just waited two more weeks he would have made it to 176 175 therefore when did he die on his birthday birthday. and this is the reason why all the heroes in the Bible know when they're dying and they all call their family in for a final blessing do they not how do they know that
0: So was Jesus born during
2: Passover There you go. And so early Jewish and so so first of all, the temple was profaned on the 25th of Kislev. therefore beginnings and ends occur on the same day in the same fashion. that, that means the temple must be rededicated on the 25th, got to make sure it's done. And if heroes are born on the same day, early Jewish Christianity, early Jewish Christianity, Uh, not modern uh, Messianic Judaism but early Messianic Judaism uh, followed the same pattern that heroes were born on the same day you know when Jesus died it is Passover so the tradition is that Mary becomes pregnant the angel visits Gabriel Passover okay and uh, which is interesting because again according to Jewish tradition the first woman, the first virgin that heard the voice of God and disobeyed, what's her name? According to tradition, when does she bite the apple? Passover. According to the tradition. And so how do you fix the problem? Remember, beginnings and the ends always occur in the same fashion. If a virgin heard the voice of God on Passover and disobeyed, how do you fix it? You have a virgin who hears the voice of God on Passover and will obey. What's the first king that Israel has from the tribe of? Benjamin. So Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. We're going to have a king we're going to establish a kingdom. It's going to be a beautiful kingdom. We're going to follow the laws of God. We're going to just we're going to share the light to the Gentiles. It doesn't happen. So we're going to have an apostle who's going to take the light to the Gentiles. What's his name? Saul, from the tribe of? Okay. It's going to be always in the same way. So if Mary becomes pregnant with uh, Jesus at Passover, nine months from Passover, what's your holiday? It's Hanukkah. On what day do you dedicate dedicate the temple? The 25th. The number of people and people that read the internet and keep saying the same stuff that christmas is based on some pagan holiday really need to go and read those pagan holidays when actually was the saxon feast of yule and saturnia or saturnalia when were they celebrated the winter of solstice when is the winter solstice 21st to the 22nd so they keep missing it plus this does not explain why the Greek Orthodox, 400 million other Christians, celebrate Christmas in January. Okay, For The Orthodox, the, the, the Orthodox Christians which we as Protestants have a tendency never to talk to which is a real shame because they're preserving a lot of uh, good stuff uh, they celebrate Christmas on the 6th and 7th of January and uh, so if they're trying to cancel out a pagan holiday, man, are they missing it by three weeks every year. Mm -hmm. So they're not borrowing from a pagan holiday. Its actual source comes from a a Jewish exegesis. It's just some rubbish we keep telling ourselves. Again and again and again until we believe it, until we forget that it's actually a lie. And, uh, And so the 25th of December comes from the Maccabees. And, uh, and the idea that Jesus himself is, uh, is born uh, in this time. Okay. In Jewish tradition, beginnings and ends have to occur on the same day. So we have to have the temple destroyed on the same day, yes? Which is the ninth of Av. Okay. Yet, when you actually read 2 Kings 25, it says that it was destroyed on the 7th of Av. <laughs> and when you read Jeremiah 52, verse 12... It says the temple was burnt on the tenth of Av. Mm-hmm. So hang on a second. Was it the seventh? Was it the tenth? What's a day in the middle? No. Yay! <laughs> mm-hmm. So, it becomes a tradition. And a tradition is a good thing. A tradition helps you theologically. Okay? And, uh, and, and in fact, Paul himself says, hold to the traditions that I've been teaching you. They'll guard you. They are not something inherently evil. So, um, we have half an hour. Are there any questions so far regarding the, the, uh, the historical basis for uh, the, the Maccabees and the, and the, the theological understandings that, that, um, the, of the Second Devil period?
0: It's not about uh, the
2: Eastern Orthodox Christians? Sure. <coughs> it's not about the January date. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? They're on a different calendar to us. We, they're following still a Julian calendar, and we are following a Gregorian calendar. Uh, while we might think, often we look around the world today, and we think everything that we see going on today has been going on for a thousand years. Okay. The last country to actually adopt the Gregorian calendar was in 1923. That was Turkey. And so the Gregorian calendar has not been as widely as accepted as everybody likes to think. It's the one we've got right now, but it certainly isn't the only one. In fact, everybody's got calendars. Okay, we've, uh, so the Greeks, the the Orthodox are on another calendar. Chinese are on a calendar. Is Islam's on a calendar? Uh, Jewish people are on a calendar. The world's on a calendar. And it's okay as long as we can all figure out how to get to the coffee. We're fine. Yes. <laughs> Okay? I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, who actually invented time? It was the English. Yes? Greenwich <laughs> mean time, all right? Which is really cool because it means the Germans can't have lunch until the Ameri- uh, English tell them it's 1 o'clock. Okay? okay. That's pretty cool for us. But, uh, but it, the, the, so the Greek Orthodox are on their, their interesting time.
0: Uh, wasn't the, when Jesus born the Roman calendar of only 10 months, hence December, Deci in October,
2: October yep. so, so. Yep. I'm not 100% sure what the Roman calendar was or when they were having, but we're not worried about December. That's the modern day that we do it. What we're worried about is the date, the number 25 of Kislev. Kislev is the last month of the Jewish calendar. So once you start getting lots and lots of Gentiles involved, okay, and the calendar, the last month of our Calendar is what? December. December. So we quickly go, well, it's very easy. The last month of our calendar is December. 25th, bang. Without thinking that in the Jewish world, that what is uh, Kislev moves. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes it's over in. Okay. Yes, and sometimes it's way over here. And so it fluctuates. It's just, it just one of the ways that comes along. Once we get to the, the final date, bang, we, we, we pick it. Oddly enough, the uh, Catholic Church actually celebrated Hanukkah, okay, until uh, 1506, and um, until recently, I think it was like the last hundred years or so. It might even be even be less. The Maccabees were actually saints, and they well they are still saints in the Catholic Church, and they had a feast day. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, the the the, feast, the, cal- the Roman calendar, Roman Catholic calendar, filled up so much with feast days, they have had to pull them off. They might add them on a bit later, but. But it, do, it does show us that uh, even to the 1500s, the, the Catholic Church was still celebrating Hanukkah. Because why? It's in their Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? They were the ones actually reading 1 and 2 Maccabees. So they actually did it. And then some bright spark in the 1500s went, hang on a second, the Jews are doing this. Mm-hmm. All right? So when is the Gregorian
0: calendar?
2: <laughs> when does the Gregorian calendar start, I'm not 100% sure, is so it 15 something? 15. Yes, so then, so they, the, the Gregorian calendar is initially proposed in the 1500s, can't remember exact date, seems like 1540 something, right? Anyway, but it's not immediately adopted by everybody. So it takes time for different nations to embrace uh, that calendar, okay. So, yes?
0: Why did the Pinesan reject the
2: why did the Protestants re- reject? Okay, not, first of all, not all Protestants have rejected the Apocrypha. Um, the, the traditional uh, ch- uh, churches, that is Lutherans, um, Anglicans, uh, some Methodists, some Presbyterians, these are sort of older traditional uh, churches, embrace the first Bible that was produced by the Reformation, which included the Apocrypha. Uh, and so you'll find that in the, in the Anglican calendar. Uh, later on as as we develop our own traditions uh, and splits within ourselves and our own different ways of interpreting the Bible We um, we don't like the word apocrypha, which is a made-up word just like you know, many other words in, in, in uh, the world uh, And because it means hidden we just won't read it because it's hidden something's mysterious about the book when actually some of the books are quite good in fact if you read the book uh, uh, Sirach, the wisdom of Ben Sirach. And you read uh, Wisdom of Ben Sirah, chapter 2. And you read the book of James, chapter 2. You put them side by side. They are almost identical. Okay, they're, they're in, the, in the second temple period, we don't have a Bible, do we? We don't, we don't know what we're reading. At the, in, the, in the second temple period, we're still creating what we call a canon. We are still trying to figure out what books are in and what books are out. So if we had gone around the world... We would have walked up and, and looked at your community and, and found out that you might have had six books. Walked up to your community and you've got eight. Walked up to you and you've got 12 and went, wow, that's kind of cool. Can we borrow a few? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and as we go through the, the, the early couple of hundred years of, the, of Christianity, we discover that the early lists of canons include books we don't read anymore. Like the Didache and the Shepherd of Hermes and First Clement. Those were books. If you were a Christian 200 years after Jesus, you would be reading that book. And uh, it, it just highlights that... Um, uh, oh, here's another thing. At the time of Jesus, what language did most Jews of the world read the Bible? Greek. Greek. Most Jews at the time of Jesus actually spoke Greek. Okay. Lots more Jews in the West than in Israel. And so in Israel we might have some Hebrew speakers, but what are we reading in Babylon? Aramaic. So at the time of Jesus, you've actually got three versions of the Bible. You have Hebrew scrolls, you have Septuagint Greek, and you have Targumim, which are Aramaic. And when you get to Jesus as he's walking around and teaching, one of the things he doesn't say is, gee, you'd better read your Bible in Hebrew. That's not what he says, is it? In fact. When Paul is running around in uh, in the book of Acts and he's in Athens and he's sitting inside synagogues, what Bible are they reading from?
0: Septuagint.
2: Septuagint. They're reading Greek. And you never get an argument in the in the book of Acts that says, boy, Paul went to Athens and he convinced those Greek speakers to switch to Hebrew because that was the holy tongue. Okay? It's become that way where we think we've got to make sure we understand the Hebrew. I mean, that was, that was Jerome's big deal. But it didn't seem to be Jesus's. And it didn't seem to be something from the Apostles. What was important was you read your Bible. Okay? And so in the Second Temple period, we've got lots and lots of material, lots of books. We're trying to... It's nothing systematic. We've got lots of sex. We've got a rise of education. We're all trying to reinterpret some of this stuff of also what's going on. Hellenism has been coming in. It's been coming in for hundreds of years, but now it's getting a little even more violent with our current rulers, and we're under occupation. In fact, we're always under occupation. Have you noticed that? <laughs> okay? As soon as we get rid of the Greeks, man, we bring in the Romans. But then we even occupy ourselves for a while. And so you've got to start to theologically think, how do I resist occupation? Do I do so militarily? Do I do so violently? For example, the the the, Hasbanians, uh, the, Hasbanians, the Maccabees, uh, they've got a hero that they can admire, Pinchas. He's a, he's a nice hero of the Bible, isn't he? Mm. Right? We get... Um, Phineas. 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 Yes. We get... Uh, he, get he stabs a, uh, a, a Jewish guy and a Midianite girl, yes, with his spear. So, and, and what does God say? God says, this guy has zeal. This guy is fantastic. Not only that, I'm going to make a covenant, a brit shalom. It's the only time that 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 word is used. those two words are together. A covenant of peace with with the house of of, uh, Pilchas, Phineas. We don't know what that means. Uh, I've yet to read a good commentary because it says, I'm going to have an eternal covenant with this family. Wow, my gosh. Now, I've, I have studied some midrashim on this, uh, even to the point where they'll say that uh, one, one group of uh, midrashim will say that um, Pinchas didn't actually ever die then because it says, I'm going to establish a covenant with him forever. He never died. So there's some wandering Jew, wandering in the past. <laughs>
0: no,
2: I'm serious. Okay, it's, it's a tradition. I'm not saying I believe it, but it does show you that people are looking at the text, trying to figure it out. They've also got this character. God blessed him. So then, then the, the Maccabees, did they not succeed initially? Yes, but it still ends up in disaster. So I've got to reinterpret these texts. I've got to figure out, well, if his zeal and he starts killing people and God thinks that's great and gives him a covenant, I've got to figure out how to interpret that in the light of what I see happen to the Maccabees. I've got to figure out how can, can I, um, should I resist Roman occupation? And so when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, what does he say? He says when a Roman comes and asks you to carry something one mile, what do you do? Carry it. You don't resist violently. It's not going to bring about the kingdom that you want. Okay? In fact, the kingdom already here. And so you can actually theologically begin to reinterpret uh, the same texts, okay? but uh, in, 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 uh, in a, also in view of, of history and tradition. This brand of interpretation did, ended poorly. And it, res- and, it- and it resulted with a corrupt priesthood, a corrupt temple, a new group of uh, occupiers, uh, an embrace of paganism and Hellenism, and too many Jews assimilating. So we'll defend ourselves. We'll defend ourselves through uh, new interpretations, fresh zeal for the law, but perhaps not as violent as that in another way. Uh, and so, because um, in, 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 in one Maccabees, when Matthias dies, because he doesn't live very long, he starts the revolution... And he does it in the same way as Phineas. These, uh, the Greeks were running along in one Maccabee, saying, you need to uh, offer sacrifices, pigs, on your altar. Someone gets up to do it. He stabs him in a place called Modin and runs off into the, into the jungles or the hills and uh, forms his rebellion with his five kids. But he only lasts a year and dies and passes on the, the mantle to, to the next kids. I mean, half of them die, so it's, it's all quite tragic. But in his speech as he's dying, he says, Have zeal for the law. Be zealous for the Torah. And in his way, that meant what? War. Violence. And so by the time you get 160 years later, where that violence didn't work out, you still had the phrase, Be zealous for the Torah. But now it's actually meaning something different. So when Paul comes to Acts, in Acts 21, Paul comes to Jerusalem. And the leaders of Jerusalem say, look at how many of our priests who are zealous for the law. They're not running around killing Romans. They're, they're not doing any of that. But they're zealous for the Torah, but now in a non-violent way, and it's having a better effect. The kingdom's actually expanding. Instead of trying to, trying to do something violent and, and actually bringing in the kingdom, it actually has an, a, a, a counter uh, effect. So one of the branches of interpretation that we get is. We go through the Bible and we we say, well, we need to find characters where rebellion is wrong. And rebellion in Hebrew is what word? Any, Any Hebrew speakers here? Mered. Okay. Mered is a rebellion. Well, we've got a very famous hero in the Bible with that name. Nimrod. The Nun, Anachnu, means we rebelled. And what did he do? What was he famous for? Okay. Building something in, uh, in, in the land of Shinar. What did we build in the land of Shinar? Tower of, Tower of Babel. Okay, so why did we all build up? What happened to the first time that we rebelled against God? What did God do? He sent the flood. Mm-hmm. So we remember this. Whoa, next time we rebel, what might happen? Life. Better go up. Okay, so and God's like, well, I won't flood the world this time, but I'll I'll confuse all your all the languages, and we end up with Babel, Babylon, you know, all that um, confusion and, and, and play on words. But rebellion in the Bible always ends up being negative. That becomes the, the, the late Second Temple period uh, understanding is that um, you don't you don't uh, engage in violent activity to bring on the uh, eschatology. God will do that. In fact, the angels might do that. There's already a war going on in heaven anyway. But you can pray into it. You can wait for it. You can long for it. You can fast for it. You can spread the message. But you yourself are not going to pick up the sword uh, to, to do it.
0: Um,
2: some other little snapshots that appear perhaps in, uh, in, 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 the, in the, the late Second Temple period uh, And early New Testament, which is a Second Temple Period book, is um, in Hebrews 11, we uh, read this, uh, this, what seems to be an allusion to Second Maccabees, Chapter 7, where in Hebrews it says, women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to be released, that they might rise to a better life. Okay, who's the book of Hebrews talking about? Who are these women who, who didn't spurn torture and they, did, they were looking, longing for the resurrection? In 2 Maccabees, you have, um, which is again, the Greek retelling of the, the first Maccabees story, but with lots of God. Uh, when Judah Maccabee runs into battle, he's singing hymns in 2 Maccabees. 1 Maccabees, no such thing. In 2 Maccabees, he will pray. In 2nd Maccabees, he will rest on the Sabbath. Okay, he will be very zealous for the Lord as part of his, um, uh, his uh, fight and his, his resistance. Uh, and in 2nd in Maccabees, we end up with lots of people dying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, they are the, the martyrs. And they, they will die refusing to, uh, to renege on the covenant. So you end up with this story. And it's, it's, it takes an entire chapter. And in very gruesome details... They have a story of a mother and her seven sons and how they're all killed in horrible ways. They're boiled. They have their entrails pulled out. They're all, you know, they're flayed they're alive. Uh, and they all have to watch each other. And, uh, but in each case, the mother is exhorting the children, don't give up because you'll be resurrected. I will meet you in the new world. If you just hold on and, uh, and, they, and they refuse to uh, 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 renounce God... Uh, and in 4th Maccabees, they take the, the deaths of those martyrs and they, and they begin to attribute it as an atoning sacrifice. That, that actually, the death of a righteous person can actually begin to wash away the sin. However, it's not the sin of an individual, it's the sin of a nation. It's cleaning the land. Okay? The land has become defiled. The nation has become defiled, but if heroes stand up even to die, the nation will rally behind them. The nation will get fixed. So there are some differences between the idea of a righteous person dying for the sins of the whole world, individually, world, which is Jesus, and, and a holy person dying in the, in the Maccabees for the, the nation and cleaning cleansing of the land. I mean, there is some similar, but, but, um, uh, but there are some differences um so for example one of the one of the uh these of seven kids says as he's about to be uh, boiled alive he says i like my brothers give up my body and life for the laws of our ancestors appealing to god to show mercy soon to our nation and through me and my brothers bring an end to the wrath of the almighty that has justly fallen upon our nation So he's giving this final death speech in front of his mum and he's saying that, uh, look, may my death uh, have some way of healing the sin of of our nation. Um, Okay, so the theology of martyrdom uh, crystallises during the Maccabean period, probably because lots of people were dying and they needed to, to create a reason for it, a new way of thinking through these things. Why are bad things happening to good people? You already had hints of people dying for this the nation in the Hebrew Bible. Who's your example? Moses. Moses wants to die for the people, and what does God say? No. Okay. So the the first time you have a person dying for the sins of the people, no, no, don't kill them, kill me. Says no, doesn't work that way. Okay. but later on. You begin to interpret, no, wait a second, you can. Okay? Now the idea of sacrificing oneself enters the Jewish world through the Greek Maccabees. Now isn't that interesting? Not through the Hebrew Maccabees. It comes through the Greek influence. Okay? So some parts of it are good. Some parts of it are bad. The differences are, of course, as I've mentioned before, that in Maccabean literature, the dying is for the nation, not individual atonement, and doesn't involve forgiveness. Okay? Okay? so you can there are things that you can do to sanctify the name and they are all done through your actions not just through temple worship especially now that since the temple has become corrupt this has already actually been developed in the as an extension of replacing sacrifices for prayer and repentance which we will find in the book of daniel which is aramaic influence okay so in the book of daniel what do we find we find a young jewish boy the temple is destroyed. He is carted away into uh, captivity. He serves pagan kings faithfully. He has angelic visitations. He has dreams and prophecies. He never once is able to offer a sacrifice for his sins, can he? And yet no angel ever comes down and says, I'm going to give you a vision uh, of, uh, of a statue and the four empires that are coming. But don't worry. When you die, you're toast, dude. You're going to hell because you can't pay for your sins. It's not mentioned, is it? So you begin to already have this idea, okay, the temple's been destroyed, now what do we do about sacrifices? But that doesn't seem to be an issue for, uh, for Daniel. And so they've already begun to think about it, and so once again, when we get into the second temple, into the late into the second temple period, we have the temple again. We're back to sacrificing. This is very good. Except the temple suddenly goes corrupt. Now, I don't want to go to that temple and give them those sacrifices. But that's how I I need to to make atonement. So I need to rethink my atonement. And it's through prayer and repentance. Notice when, when Paul is running around the book of Acts, and he goes to Greece, and he goes to synagogues, what does he not say to the Jews in Greece? You all can't offer sacrifices to the temple. You're all stuffed. He doesn't say that. He proves that Jesus is the Messiah through Greek scriptures.
0: because
2: mm-hmm. that's the point. Sacrifices are fine. If you can have the opportunity, great. If you can't, pray, but you can always repent. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so repent- and that's the call when you get into the New Testament, repentance. Mm-hmm. They have already developed this idea in the Second Temple period that repentance is the key. In fact, it becomes so powerful they even create a Midrash that says repentance was even made before creation.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and they actually get that from a psalm. Okay? Psalm 90, which actually says that uh, before there was a mountain, mm-hmm. before God called the mountains into existence, He said to man, Teshuvah, return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the word, and so there's, this, 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 there's a, it's a midrash based on that psalm that says, wow, when before God made the world, He made repentance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, violence and particularly messianic violence gets us into trouble. Therefore, we begin to downplay all forms of messianic violence.
0: Okay.
2: In geology, We're going to talk about some angels before we have uh, donuts. You do find angels in the Bible, do you not? And what do they do? They send messages. Okay? They have the, the, the sort of role of uh, being an influencer by communication. And, um, uh, except that there is one, one difference. There's one angel that actually does do something very physical. What's his name? The angel of death. Okay? But most angels don't. Uh, uh, impact you physically. Notice also that when we find angels in the New Testament, what is one of the things angels don't do? They don't share the gospel. Okay, An angel comes to Cornelius, does he not? In Acts chapter 10. Now you would think that uh, the angel comes to Cornelius and says, listen, we've uh, been listening to your prayers and your almsgiving and your charity. Your good deeds have also made it to heaven. Uh, I've got a message for you. There's this guy called Jesus, and he died for your sins, and it's all fantastic, and you should believe him. What does he say? Get some of your soldiers and go and find a guy called Peter. He's got some amazing to tell you. Why don't you just tell me? Okay. But for some reason, the role of, a, of heaven is not to do that. That's actually the role of a human. But in the Second Temple period, they they they, had, they were they were um, trying to figure out what the role of an angel was. We had some angels that engaged in physical uh, violence, and there were those that just tended to seem to be lots of talking um, and sharing and sort of influencing the world through through voice. Uh, there is one incident in, um, in, and most angels in the Maccabees also just influence you through their, their voice. They give you encouragement. Angelic appearance in the the Maccabees they come and keep going Judah don't give up You know, we're all rooting for you up there in heaven, which is something that you find also in the uh, New Testament Yes, there's a cloud of witnesses. What are they doing? cheering us on There is this there is one incidence uh, which is very bizarre uh, where Jeremiah appears to um, to Judah Judah has had some problems. He's lost quite a few battles in a row now, and he's getting a bit discouraged. So Jeremiah shows up and, uh, and tells him to be strong and have courage, and then at the end of his little thing, gives Judah a golden sword. And you, when you read it, you think, where does that come from? Okay? It's that you, you, you rarely see objects of heaven come to earth. Right. So somehow this, 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 the, that's normally does not happen. Uh, so not 100% sure where the influence on that one came from, but um, it's, it sure beats um, Arthurian legend, does it not? Okay. With the lady of the lake and her sword. So this time we get Jeremiah and the golden sword and Judah. Okay, that's in 2nd Maccabees. The other thing that uh, they, they, so, so in, 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 in the Maccabean period, heaven and earth are close. They're incredibly close. Particularly in the Holy Land. There are various parts of the planet where heaven and earth literally touch one of them is Mount Hermon Okay um, Where in other other second temple period literature that becomes the site where the angels descend in Genesis 6 Okay, and perhaps one of the sites for the transfiguration Where when Jesus goes up on top of a mountain he comes to this place where heaven and earth meet and you end up with the transfiguration uh, event uh, Another one is Temple Mountain And the idea of Jacob having his dream and ladder and heaven and earth meeting, okay? Uh, And so uh, in the the Maccabean period, you see this where heaven and earth meet and you get given weapons and you get given encouragement and uh, all that kind of stuff. But also heaven can influence this world. In Maccabees, earth can also influence the next world. How can it do that? Uh, In 2nd Maccabees, uh, Judah comes across an army of Jews that had died, they had fought a battle and, uh, and they decide to bury them, which is a good deed. As they're preparing to bury them, they discover that each of these uh, humans, uh, people, has an idol to a false god. And they say, "Oh my gosh, this is the reason why they all died. They're idol worshippers." So, oh oh, uh, what happens to idol worshippers? Do they go to heaven? So they, he takes a collection of money and he buys sacrifices. In the temple for their sins. You hang on a second. He also prays for the dead. And so it might explain one of those bizarre phrases that you see in Paul, where we baptize for the dead.
0: Hmm.
2: That in the Second Temple period, I'm not saying that's the connection, but in the Second Temple period the, the the idea was that heaven and earth connect, heaven can influence this side, this side can influence that side. And then in the New Testament, there's little glimmers of heaven's watching. The cloud of witnesses are watching. And, it, and if they can't do anything about it, what's the point of watching?
0: <laughs>
2: so you, there is this idea that actually that world can influence this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a weird verse where it says we baptize for the What What is that all about? I don't know. But there does seem to, in the Second Temple Period, there is this idea that... This, this side of, of creation can actually influence uh, that side. I'm not saying I will agree with it. I'm just saying that, that, it, that it is there. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. Are you that or
1: you better get uh, angry, uh, Yeah, that's email. Yes,
2: that's right. Yes. So please don't think that I'm some pagan advertising that you can all you know, pay for the sins of your previous ones. But however, you do find that in, in the teachings of Jesus and in, in the New Testament you do get those phrases, do you not? Mm-hmm. yes that um, uh, you that you can baptize with it what does that mean um, if you sin against uh, sins against the holy spirit will not be forgiven in this life and in the next meaning perhaps other ones can
1: right no, sins against the son of man sins against the son of man, so man will be forgiven in this, this life and the world
2: in the next and world. in
1: the next
2: world sins sin sin against the holy spirit the will not yeah so there is there is this sort of it, It's a bit more complicated than we perhaps might like to think but in the second temple period remember we've got lots of of new ways of thinking about the same texts and how we're wrestling with understanding the ideas of uh, messianic redemption the kingdom of heaven uh, violent uprisings uh, prayers angels uh, corrupt temples uh, false priesthoods yet within this world where do you find Jesus in the temple Corrupt as it is, he says, "No, no, this place should be a house of, of prayer for all nations." Mm-hmm. You know, do some of my best teaching here, uh, and, and and so it's a it's a it's a the second temple period is a is a wonderful, vibrant world, um, allowing a lot more uh, expression. I think to look, um, a, lot more, a lot more, thinking outside the box, mm-hmm. perhaps. Like if you thought like that today, you know, get yourself into some very dangerous ground, and maybe that's a good thing. But it does. But it does show that the Second Temple period, the New Testament, is in a very vibrant world. It's not something that um, that just appears out of the middle of nowhere, and uh, and there's lots of wonderful traditions which we can learn from when we read Second Temple period Jewish literature, which I advocate. Uh, I don't think you should all just read it by yourself. In the in the Second Temple period, when did you read the Bible? You read it in groups. Okay, Because uh, that was one of the things that even Martin Luther struggled with when he was translating the Bible into German. As soon as I put the Bible in the hand of everyone, what's going to happen? Everyone will become a Pope.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, that was his thought, and he was right. And so in the second, Testament, at the time of Jesus, we only had one scroll. So we all gathered around it. We read it, and we discussed it, and we did it together, okay? So we had the opportunity to discuss, to dialogue, to debate, to work through issues, to think through things. And, and um, another, another, another uh, thing that happens uh, in the Second Temple period, where do we find the role of women? Well, they're very special people. Why are they so one special people? Because they create life, do they not? Yeah, I mean, out comes another human from a a human. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And it's all done from the woman. And so that didn't turn them into gods. That's not what I'm saying. However, you suddenly get this very obscure phrase in the Bible. Women are saved by? You know, what? Because in that world, they were wrestling with this idea that, yes, God made the world. And yet, within His creation, He put a very special role for women that they were also engaged in the act of creation. I'm not saying that that's what that means. I'm not saying that just because you happen to have ten kids, you're automatically going to heaven. Okay? However, these phrases appear in the New Testament, and they're not, within, they're not isolated. They're in part of a larger world that's looking and, and, and wrestling with these texts. And so uh, when you get into 1 and 2 Maccabees, you see a lot of that stuff being being played out. So I think those those are very valuable texts to have a look at, particularly as you come into Hanukkah and we're going to celebrate a story which most of us know nothing about,
0: yeah.
2: but hopefully you do now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Ready for a donut? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.